0: When you're trying to solve the homeless crisis and, you know, we're spending billions to try to do that. And I think there's frustration that very little is making a difference. But the last place you might look uh, would be an all-girls high school campus in Concord. But maybe we should.
1: You're listening to Table Talk, where we share surprising stories from around the Bay Area. I'm Vivian, and I'm here with my boss, Steve, who some of you may know as Senator Glazer, I'm part of his team based in this Bay Area district. So pull up a chair as we set the table and set the scene for today's episode of Table Talk. So there's a lot of farmland in the East Bay, which I never really think about, but it's right there in our backyards. Um, And the people that grow all that produce on the farmland often struggle with housing security and finding housing that's safe. Um, And has the things that you might take for granted, like running water or a bathroom or a shower. Um, And according to the latest U.S. Department of Labor survey, one third of California farm workers had income below the poverty level and over 40 percent didn't have health insurance.
0: So we learned about this uh, Contra Costa nonprofit called e del Campo. And they're trying to change that. What are they doing?
1: Yeah. So um, since early on in the pandemic, they've been responding to the needs of this community of farm workers that are both migrant and people that live in the area um, and bringing them things like food, pandemic-related um, PPE. Um, and when vaccines uh, went available, they ran vaccination clinics. And their goal is to make sure that every farm worker has access to the basic necessities they need.
0: But the big thing uh, is is shelter, housing, right? And IHAS Del Campo is trying to figure that one out, too. And we had a chance to go see a tiny home uh, on Frog Hollow Farms, which is in Contra Costa County. What did we see? What 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 what, what was the creation?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a really cool space. It's on uh, wheels, so there's a few steps up the front door, and then when you enter, you have this whole house in a small. It's about the size of of an SUV and a half. <laughs> Um, so you have a full bathroom, which includes like a, ba- a toilet and a shower, and then there's a kitchen, and um, which is kind of like a, a long space. And then you have um, even a washer dryer unit and a loft bed and a little area with a table to eat dinner or whatever. So it's a very put together space and um, it feels like home. And that was our goal.
0: And of course, the, the underlying question is how did it come together? Who built it? And uh, it, it was an amazing, a lot of, you know, things in a small space, but seemingly everything that one would need to live safely uh, in a in a little tiny home.
1: And uh, we actually got to talk with one of their co-founders, Bell Mendoza, and she says...
2: The ultimate goal of the space is to give somebody um, comfort and for it to ultimately um, help alleviate one of the biggest... F- issues and fears um, that our farm workers have, which is housing.
0: So we now, we understand the problem, housing, farm worker housing, uh, how do we you know, create that shelter? Um, and this tiny home that we got to look at didn't just magically appear, it came from what? Uh, a high school, an all girls high school um, t- about 20 miles away in Concord, um, and who built this house. And that's where our story goes next.
3: We started a class called Engineering for Social Good, and the core focus of that class was to build this tiny house.
0: That's
2: Chris
1: Walsh. He's the teacher at Carondelet High School in Concord who taught the class that built the tiny home. He says they decided to build a tiny house because of the prevalence of housing insecurity in the area, particularly for farm workers.
3: We purposely wanted to show what kids could do uh, in a very powerful way.
1: And many of those students just graduated from high school. We got to catch up with two of them just days before their graduation, Macy and Ellie. They were part of the group of about 30 students who actually got to build the tiny home from start to finish just over a year ago in what was their junior year of high school. We met them at the school on a busy Monday
0: morning. Right, we're here at Crandallette High School, and I'm Steve Glazer. Hi, Steve. Chris Walsh. Nice yeah. to meet you. Teacher, Welcome. Mr. Walsh. Nice to see you, and hello.
4: Hi, I'm Macy Lair.
0: Hello, Macy.
4: And Ellie
5: Sheaberry.
0: Okay. Ellie. Nice to meet you <laughs> both. Let's
3: head over to uh, the community room where we can sit down and have a chat, and as we walk, you can kind of see some activity. Class just got out, so it's going to be a little noisy as we walk through. But let's go for it.
5: Talking
4: about it. People would be like, are you in the tiny house class? I was like, yeah, I am. They saw so like, oh, the roof just went on. I was like, I know, we just put it on a couple days ago. So people would talk to me about it. It was very
5: visible. And all the parents would drive by during yeah. drop-off time. Let's see so it. everyone would see
0: it, yeah. they see it grow. So as we were walking over here, you showed me the parking lot where it was constructed. Mm-hmm. It's kind of very visible here on the campus. for students and for parents. So there must have been a little bit of a buzz as the thing started to Mm -hmm. get erected.
4: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, a lot of what is that at first. And then then eventually, once it took the form of a house, people are like, I thought you were building like, I thought you were just designing houses, or I thought you were making a small house. I'm like, that's a real house. Mm -hmm. Like we built that. And they were like, you built that every seventh period. Mm -hmm. We're out there, you can see us.
3: Yeah, one of the nice things about that was a lot of people in our community rallied around the house because it was so visible on campus. And that was by design as well. So that we had parents that weren't involved with students in the class at all who would say, oh, how can I help? So a lot of things happened because it was
0: so visible and the community really rallied around it. We did go out and look at it at Frog Hollow Farm. Uh, What'd you think? uh, It was very impressive. I, I think, you know, You've stepped it up on this one. <laughs> so it's, it's really, I mean, obviously it's a small place for anyone to live, mm-hmm. um, but the amenities inside were, uh, were terrific on how you designed it. Uh, so did uh, every student take a different element of building the house? Is that how it worked?
5: So we all split into groups. I was in the plumbing team. Ventilation team. <laughs> we're very proud of our ventilation team. Yeah, there was also, like, electrical, mm-hmm. um, the framing team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We
4: were all very very <laughs> involved in the group that we yeah. were in. So throughout the like throughout the time that we designed and then oftentimes mm-hmm. after we would separate from our groups and we were building the house people were generally drawn to the groups that they would initially select. What I mean is like we so like ventilation group we spent like weeks designing ventilation stuff and then when it came later in the project and that group was not assigned to be together anymore, we still all went to the windows and put the windows in together because we were really attached to ventilation. So it was very much like um, everybody went to the thing, like was drawn to a certain aspect of the house and we kind of separated and chose jobs based on like what part of the house you were drawn to.
3: And then they helped out. So once one team was done, another group would come in. So. Uh, you know Ellie was on the plumbing team but Macy mm-hmm. did a lot of the plumbing um, the actual pecs <laughs> yeah. where the water yeah, would flow through pecs. in the house pecs. yeah lots and lots of pecs mm-hmm. so, so everybody
0: kind of stepped it up and helped mm-hmm. each other out yeah. um, Mr. Walsh I have to ask have you ever built a house built anything before?
3: I have built a few things but nothing as ambitious as this um, uh, you know I'm a weekend warrior like a lot of people doing a lot of stuff around my own house I've probably redone most of my house a couple times now but, uh, but nothing from the ground up like this and uh, it was a whole new experience so There must have been times where you had doubt about this project. Every day. <laughs> Every day. But it wasn't a doubt of our students, it was really a function of time. Uh, that was really our biggest enemy because there's only so much time in a class period even with a block schedule like ours to actually be able to get out there and build. By the time you get your tools out there, you get set up, you get organized, you start building, then you have to you get maybe 40 minutes and then you have to kind of clean up right. and debrief. So time was really the biggest challenge that we had uh, and that's why we added these special mm-hmm. build days for, for students to be able to come and voluntarily. Mm-hmm come and and put additional time in but yeah we 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 were sweating it out to think that we would make it by the end of the year but it was exactly a year ago you know uh when you were juniors that we unveiled this in a big unveiling Mm -hmm. and so uh, when i think of that now we were really from the beginning
0: we were moving really quickly so let me go back to you uh, ellie and macy what was the high point for you uh in the project
5: (laughs) well my favorite part was working on the plumbing um like I had never worked with plumbing before, so we all had to learn, and it was a learned by doing experience. So there was a lot of trial and error, um, and just like we'd spend like hours under the house, just laying under there trying to measure. And um, but it's hard to measure when you're laying on your back, facing up, and all the dust is falling onto your goggles. But and then also just the unveiling of the house was just a huge accomplishment. We all felt super proud of what we did because. There was some doubt during the project, but <laughs> there was and it was just really cool to see it.
0: Oh, nice see how about you.
5: High point of the house
4: for me was I think the loft. So I came in on a Saturday with a couple of the people in the class I was really close with and we were like, let's just get something done today. So I think we knocked out the framing of the loft in one day. It was like me and Chloe and Ava. Mm-hmm. And we just we built the entire loft. I love that loft. And we like <laughs> we like installed it and oh my gosh, we we were able to like hold it and swing on it and that was ridiculously cool so to just build something like that in a single day was amazing but I definitely agree with Ellie like I remember being in this room a ye- year like I think actually a year ago mm-hmm. today and we had like little tiny house cookies and all the seniors were here and they were like we're going off to college now like we just finished the house we're going off to college now and we had just unveiled the house so yeah, yeah I mean I love that day but I love that loft I do think that building the house made me more confident yeah. in what I was able to do.
0: Because there is a stereotype about girls and women and engineering. And that's why we did this, to, to break
3: that stereotype. I mean, uh, the number of women that are represented in um, engineering um, uh, programming is still extremely low. But in the construction industry... It's one percent, and only one percent of that one percent is even in the field. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's huge stereotypes about uh, about what is a male job versus what is a female job, and and we wanted to break that completely and shatter that and say everybody can do everything. And we're gonna we're gonna tackle this and put power tools in the hands of kids who've never had power tools in a school that's never had a workshop in a school that's never even tried anything. You know, building anything small, let alone big like this,
0: um, that we can do this if we put our minds to it. So uh, it broke down a lot of barriers for them, probably for sure. As well, and how, and how you do you look at yourself differently after this project in terms of your abilities?
5: I definitely feel more confident, and the barriers that I felt were there before were really like aren't there anymore. They're more like a. It was more just me thinking that I couldn't do it, but now that I've done it, those barriers aren't there anymore. Um, yeah, I definitely feel more confident in my ability to do. Amazing.
4: Yeah, for me, I don't. I never really doubted that I could do it. But nobody really comes up to a junior year high school girl and goes, "Hey, want to build like this or want to use power tools to like build a chair or want to do something like that?" I think the stereotype in this space that's like an all-girl school like this, it's less you can't do it and more. It never really occurred to you to offer it to girls, and so I think having this opportunity, let me find out how much I'd enjoy doing an engineering project like this.
0: Looking back now, what what messages? Uh, share some some thoughts, uh, and uh, you know, uh, maybe there's some students that are listening, wondering about this, and uh, what reflections do you have on this project for you and and for others. Who wants to go first, Ellie?
5: Yeah. So I think, like, it's okay to dream big, even if you don't know all the answers right away, just because you're going to learn them as you go. And so I think, yeah, we definitely needed to have the idea, even if there were some doubts, but we did learn how we went, as we went, and um, it turned out better than we expected. (laughs) And then also just, it's okay to make mistakes, and perseverance is necessary to continue. And then it's just, yeah. Like, it's okay to make mistakes. They're going to happen regardless. I think the number one thing I learned is um, the power of asking is
4: incredible. Because um, I didn't realize how much you could do if you asked for it. So, I mean, I think the biggest inspiration for me is the fact that this project was available at all. Um, That was hugely inspirational Mm -hmm. to me. Like, the fact that we were able to convince Cronvillette, that you were able to convince Cronvillette to build a tiny house was Amazing to me. And I think what it says to other people is you need to, if you have an idea for a project and you're excited about it, the most important thing for you to do is not let that idea die and find someone who wants to do that with you and just ask. And if you put your work out for everyone to see, people will rally around you and support you. So all you need to do is, is go for it and ask Mm -hmm. and pursue what you want to do. And that's what I've really taken away from this project.
0: Mr. Walsh, I'm gonna give you the final word. What did you learn from this? What reflections do you have now that it's done? I mean
3: I think the the biggest thing I learned is how amazing our students are. And um, just as Macy said, you know, we 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 came up with a big idea, a big audacious goal. Uh, we rallied a community around it, we built partnerships mm-hmm. around it, and and all of that um, still could have gone nowhere if we didn't have students that really stepped up, that really not just um, uh, did it for the A, did it for the class, did it for the college applications, but were really dedicated to making a difference in the world, in our community, in our backyard, for the people who need it the most.
1: That was a really nice conversation. Um, and it was really great to hear where their goals um, were going with this project and kind of like how they all, how they all work together to just get it done. And and in a very short time period too. I mean, think about building a house in a, like less than a year in a school year.
0: A school, we only have an hour a day, yeah. a part of the class. And that I means set up, doing the work, clean up, and then you're back to class, another class uh, on the high school campus. So yeah, it, it was fun to see. And, you know, it just, it it, it underscores the fact that You know, we all should recognize that one person can make a difference and coming together collectively can make an even bigger difference. And so we know we need to work on this issue of shelter for everyone, including farm workers. And I know that's kind of where the story now leads, Mm -hmm. is this group that is so passionate and engaged in our Contra Costa community for the the good health of farm workers and, and what they're trying to do going forward. You know, giving some perspective to this conversation with these young ladies was their own background. Ellie grew up on a farm and had a lot of sensitivity to the difficult challenges of farm life. Uh, And Macy was raised by a single mom and had all the challenges of of only one parent around the household and uh, they were amazing. Uh, And I think it brought a lot of empathy to the work that they uh, continue to describe to us.
1: Yeah. And you could tell that they both really cared about the project. Um, That was one of the things that stuck out to me. Like they both really cared about making sure that things were done right and that the whole space was really comfortable for people who were going to live there. So remember the nonprofit we mentioned earlier, I Hostel Campo? Both Steve and I have been out to see their tiny home in person. I spoke with co-founders Dorina Moraida, who's the program director, and Maribel Mendoza, who's the executive director, while actually sitting on the steps of the tiny home on a plot of land in unincorporated Brentwood at Frog Hollow Farms. Maribel says the collaboration between eHostel del Campo and the Carondelet students really focused on exactly what farmworkers would want the most in their spaces, and making the houses really feel like home for the people who would live there, even down to things like the color that the house was painted. And Dorina says, summer is one of the times when farm workers who don't live around here permanently need the most support.
6: Out here, we're getting what they call like, um, like Temporada Alta, which is like their high season. So this is like when like the workers really start coming into this area to work. A lot of them are, you know, established here and they've been here for years, like 20, 30 years. Um, they've worked these lands here in Contra Costa County. Um, but we also have migrant workers that come from other areas. And a lot of times they're the ones that are left without anywhere to live because they're only here for a temporary amount of time um during the season so they'll end up like sleeping in their cars or sleeping in someone's like front yard like literally on a lawn chair in a tent you know while they're working we live in a place where there's so much homelessness right there's so many unhoused um and so even more so with those who are undocumented right um there's not really any specific programs designed to support The migrant workers.
2: Or if there is the affordable housing, you're looking at wait lists that are like five years or 10 years. Which isn't really an option for
1: most people anyway, and certainly not if you're someone who's working here seasonally. That's why the tiny homes are such a great option, both for people who will be living in them short term and longer term. The tiny home the students built is big enough for a family of two, but Maribel and Dorina say they're trying to find the land to put slightly bigger units too, designed with the same multifunctional spaces like lofts and storage cabinets, just like the tiny home the Carondelet students built. Ijas del Campo has put in a request at the county to find more open space, places like vacant lots or other areas that aren't being used, which is where they'll be looking to put a group of tiny homes on wheels. Dorina says she hopes that this will have an impact on the housing crisis being felt by
6: farm workers. The farm workers have been overlooked for so long, right? And this is nothing new. I think when people think of unhoused, um, the unhoused community, they think of people that are not working or don't have jobs. And here we have this community of people that are working really, really hard, really long hours, backbreaking work, you know, to put food on our tables. And it's like, how can we give back a little bit and like provide opportunities for them to at least have like dignified housing? We have worked with families that do not have running water, do not have yeah. electricity. And this is like in our backyard. This is something that is not easy for us to ignore. Like we just can't turn an eye and say it's not existing here. It does exist. And I think that's part of, you know, our goal is to bring light to this.
1: For now, Maribel says they're hoping to lease out the tiny home the Corundula students built for about a two year lease with relatively low rent and also another big benefit.
2: That rent will be partially for, um, some of the utilities, but we're also taking some of those funds and we're putting them in, um, a puerquito, a piggy bank, if you will, and hoping to match that. So by the end of the time that they're living here, they'll have, um, you know, a good little puerquito piggy bank saved up, um, to be able to pay for rent, um, and a deposit of a new space for themselves.
1: She says one of their goals is to launch someone from this house into a more permanent place.
0: Well, Vivian, thank you so much for helping me report this story. And we certainly uh, express our thanks to Ellie uh, and to uh, Macy and their classmates at Crandallette, certainly the teacher Chris for his creative ideas and, uh, and all the worry I'm sure he had during this whole project. Uh, and, and the ladies at EHAS, the volunteers that uh, we both had a chance to visit with.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, Maribel and Dorina. It was really great to um, get to meet with them and hear about all the great work that they're doing.
0: Uh, if you're interested in helping them in any way, uh, they have a website, uh, uh where uh, you can, you know, indicate what you might be able to do to help. Because this story continues. It's just one house. We know that, um, and there's hundreds of farm workers that need more help out there. But I know that collectively we can make a difference just as these girls at Crandallet uh, showed they could make a difference. All of us uh, c- can add to that in substantial ways, and we must do that.
1: To learn more about Ihostelcampo Campo and the efforts to support local farm workers, you can find the nonprofit online at ihostelcampo.org. That's H-I-J-A-S-D-E-L-C-A-M-P-O dot O-R-G. You can find all our episodes on our website at sdo7.senate.ca.gov. This episode was produced, mixed, and mastered by Vivian Busu Skinner. Thanks for listening.